Okay, it is good to see each of you here today. We're beginning a new series. Uh, actually, it's our fall kickoff, uh, Life on Mission. <clears throat> and so today we want to talk about connecting. Religious people are kind of messy. And quite honestly, that bugs me. Uh, you may fully understand what I'm talking about. Now, let me explain. Now, I don't mean people who really believe in God or in Jesus, uh, but being religious is not the same thing as being Christian. Now, I want you to, to see this illustration. Actually, it's, it's more audio than video, but it's, it's a guy in Texas who witnesses an auto accident between four little old ladies and a guy. So, watch. Hey, Mark, excuse me. I'm on my way to 3768. Kind of got hung up. It's raining out here. I'm on my way into Dallas. Uh, Jerry's probably going to be calling you to find out uh, where I'm at if he can't get a hold of me, I'm sure. So, uh, thought, whoa, whoa. Man, I just had a wreck right in front of me. This guy ran a red light and hit uh, hit four old ladies in a in an Impala. Just kind of clipped them and turned them around right in front of me. Man, that was close. Oh, now this guy's getting out of his car. Got a, he's got a white shirt on with a tie and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He's throwing his hands up in the air like he, like like it was their fault. Oh, hold on, hold on. He's going over their window. She's rolling down the window. Oh man, she, I think she sprayed him with pepper spray, man. He's holding his he's holding his face and he's on his knee. She's getting out. She's beating him with an umbrella. <laughs> The other women are getting out too. <laughs> ah, there's one woman with a little black person. She's kind of hawking here, man. She looks, she looks like a Sunbelt 20, 20 horsepower jackhammer. Blah, blah, blah. She, we got another woman that's. that's <laughs> she's hitting him like, like he's got a cattle prod, man. She's got, a, she's got an umbrella and she's sticking it in his side. Oh, there's another one that it's a little woman looks like Mother Goose. <laughs> she's got oh she beat him. She beat him. She's got this you bit bag. <laughs> she's got oh she beat him. She beat him. She's got this you bit bag. It's huge. It's about the size of her. She's about four foot nothing. She hit him over the head. Everything went all over the place. Her Bible fell. Oh, she just hit him in there with a Bible. <laughs> she picked this Bible up and she lifted it way over her head. It was it was a hardback NBI version. <laughs> okay. Um, how many of you have been symbolically beaten over the head by the Bible? Uh, there's a lot of people that uh, are good at doing that. Um, how many think you might know this little old lady? Now, if she's sitting beside of you, don't raise your hand. Uh, but this is symbolic of, of what people think of Christians. Um, they think that we're going to beat them over the head with a Bible, uh, that we're judgmental. Uh, and it's been the climate of Christianity now here in the United States for a long time. 
if you put up a sign for a, a lot of churches, it should read, Welcome to the church of we're right and you're wrong. Now, isn't that right? Don't you get that sense when you uh, talk to a lot of people? Well, clearly, each church thinks that it's right. <clears throat> I mean, obviously, you would think that you hold a, a right position or you wouldn't be a church. In our age, many churches are about being separate from and unspotted by the world. In the first half of the 20th century, uh, it was like Christianity was everywhere. In the uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s, Christians began losing their Christian consistency and started huddling together. We started hanging out together, started our own schools, bookstores, radio stations, and even our own music. People began saying Christians should stop listening to other music and only listen to Christian music. Uh, they said not only is it because the message going forward on the record is bad, but if you played them in reverse, there was actually a satanic message on the back side. Now, I could never get my record changer to go backwards to turn it over and listen to it. Back. So I never did hear the satanic message um, but supposedly, now, for you Gen Xers, I need to bring you up to snuff here. Uh, a record is a vinyl disc uh, that has music on it. It actually predated eight tracks, uh, which predated cassette tapes, and you probably can get back to there. Christian stuff isn't bad. Now, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, and... Christian music ministers to me. And I think we need our fellowship groups and other Christian things. Uh, removing ourselves from the world was never the goal. Actually, that's opposite of the goal. Uh, but that's what's happened. Unintentionally, we Christians have separated ourselves from the world. Now, Jesus said our mission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He said that we are to be witnesses. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about during our Life on Mission campaign. Uh, witnesses where? He said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We are actually in our Jerusalem right now. Right where you are. Um, Hang around people who don't have Jesus. That's what we need to do. Now, the problem with huddling and hiding is that it's the opposite of what God wants us to accomplish. If God wanted us to be separate from the world, he would have taken us immediately to heaven when we were saved. But instead, he left us here so that we could accomplish our mission. Our Jerusalem, which is uh, not just the immediate area here, but the United States, is now the third or fourth largest mission field in the world. That means there are more non-Christians here than in 
you know, other countries throughout the world. We rank third or fourth. And so missionaries are now coming to the United States from other countries, uh, bringing the gospel and converting people to Jesus. A friend of a pastor in Chicago tweeted that he was on a plane with 50 students from South Korea who were headed to Dallas, Texas on a mission trip. Now, we're talking Dallas, Texas. Dallas, uh, Texas, you would consider the buckle of the Bible Belt. But here's 50 missionaries coming from Korea uh, to convert these people to Jesus. Now, God has a plan for the gospel of Jesus to encircle the entire globe. And you are part of that plan. First thing I want to talk about is uh, the church on mission. We might say this another way. We might ask it in the form of a question. Why am I alive? Why am I here? Okay, what's my purpose? What's the purpose of the mission of the church? The church is a collection of people who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, admittedly, it's really difficult to define the church in a few words, but the church is basically a group of saved people. People have been saved from their sins. Individuals who are part of God's spiritual family, who are on a divine mission uh, here in this world. Uh, people in the United States who are not Christians likely fit into one of two categories. Some people in the United States haven't actually heard a clear message about Jesus. Now, generally, uh, people in that category are not aware of how much Jesus loves them. Maybe that's you. Uh, you're here today, and you, you're not aware of how much Jesus actually loves you, but he, but he does. In other situations, Jesus has not been presented well to non-believers. In some cases, Christians have represented Jesus poorly. If the only Christians you ever meet are beating you over the head with their hardback NVI, and I don't know what an NVI Bible is. I think maybe he meant NIV, but uh, if, if that, those are the only people you meet, why would you want to meet their Lord, the guy that they say they're trying to be like? That seems to be an expression of what they think Jesus is like if they do that. You wouldn't want to be like that. I was thinking this week that somebody needs to tweet this. The only people that Jesus beat over the head with the Bible ever were the people who were beating people over the head with the Bible. And that's it. The only people Jesus pounded on with Scripture were hypocritical religious people. The church has only one purpose to seek and save people who have not yet discovered Jesus. Those of you who have been in any kind of business uh, or taken business classes have heard, no doubt, of Peter, Peter Drucker. He's uh, known as the guru of business leadership. He says there's only two questions to ask. Uh, the first question is, what business are we in? What is our business well, in the case of the church, it's signing people up for heaven. Um, we have only one job. 
It's real easy to lose track of what your mission is supposed to be, kind of like a baseball team, uh, focusing on selling more tickets to bring in uh, more revenue for the team, the team owners, the investors. Uh, Their purpose is to win pennants. They might have full stands and lots of money rolling in, but if they aren't winning games, the fans aren't going to be happy. Fans are happy when the team makes it to the playoffs. And all of us, we want to see our team make it to the playoffs. Now, churches can lose track of their purpose, building immaculate, state-of-the-art facilities, involvement in politics, uh, creating a perfect country club atmosphere, uh, and the list goes on, instead of sharing the good news. Well, Drucker's second question was, how's business? Okay, if our business is reaching the lost, how's business? Are we reaching the lost? Are we bringing people to Jesus? Uh, Some churches don't want the kind of business that they're supposed to be seeking. And it's always been a temptation for churches to get sidetracked and to pursue something else other than the mission that God gave them. One church installed basketball goals in their parking lot one summer. The neighbors watched the activity, and they were excited about the fact that the church was doing this because this meant that the uh, uh, children in the neighborhood would be able to go over to the church and be able to shoot baskets, and this would be a good activity uh, for them to do uh, in in their spare time. So a uh, great place for neighborhood neighborhood kids to play basketball but wrong they use the club did you remember those advertisements on tv about the club um they were um yeah for car steering wheels and uh insurance companies you know they they were behind this you know you get the club and can't anybody steal your car well installed On a basketball rim, nobody can shoot basketball because the ball won't go down through the rim as long as the club's on there. So they missed it. They missed an opportunity uh, to pursue their goal, to make an impression on the neighborhood people. Now, isn't that the opposite of the goal or the purpose of the church Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Is this true? Was Jesus doing this? Yeah. That's exactly what he was doing. It's, it's, it's true. Uh, how else could he fulfill his mission? He came to seek and save the lost. He had to contact those people if he was ever going to make an impression on them. If Jesus was going to accomplish his mission, he would have to connect with sinners. Jesus spent the majority of his ministry time connecting with people. The first thing Christians must do today is to connect with people who are far from God. I want us to focus today on Matthew. 
Um, he's going to actually be the tech, uh, the subject of our of our sermon today. Jesus connected with Matthew, who was a tax collector and sinner. He's called both, uh, even in Scripture. Now we don't understand the tax collector uh, sinner connection. Uh, it's not quite the same today as it was then. So let me explain. Jewish tax collectors sold out to the Roman government. Uh, these were Jewish people who sold their services to Rome of uh, collecting taxes for Rome. So as an agent for Rome, Matthew would be instructed on exactly how much tax he was expected to collect. Okay, Rome set the, set the fee, they set the goal, the objective, and he had to collect any additional tax he collected, he could keep for himself. And so this became his wages or the wages for his service. And so he would go door to door or another method, he would set up a booth um, on a major thoroughfare and would collect taxes of people from people as they went by. And in that location, he was supported by Roman guards. So if you try to get by without paying your taxes, there was a Roman guard to take care of you. Uh, to collect money for Rome was a despicable job. Tax collectors were considered to be the very worst of sinners. They were considered traitors. Luke chapter 18. I want to begin reading with verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Now, religious leaders are not perfect. But this Pharisee, he was a great guy. I mean, you read his description of himself. You have to admit, you know, he, he's a great guy. He may have had a little attitude issue, um, but he's, he's a great guy. You know, if he did all the things that he said he did, and I don't have any reason to question that, but this tax collector, when he thought about God, he could only feel bad about himself. He was a crook. He knew he was a crook seems that people of the world are more ready to receive the good news than we are to give or to present the good news. The, the farther a person is away from God, the more that person realizes his need for God. The tax collector stood at a distance for two reasons. One was a tax collector would not feel good enough to get closer because of who he was. He knew he was a scoundrel. He knew he stole money from people, basically. 
He was fully aware of that. Number two, tax collectors were banished from the temple and from synagogues. They were actually treated like Gentiles. They couldn't come in. They weren't welcome. It's like they were outsiders, like they weren't Jewish at all. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Here's the story about Matthew, beginning with verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth, okay? He's not going door, from door to door here. He's in the booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, we don't know how much later, but some point later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are, they are sinners. Now I want you to pick Jesus and the disciples are walking along. Here's Matthew in his toll booth. And the, one of the disciples notices, uh-oh, you know, here's the guy collecting taxes and not again. One of you guys pull out the wallet and, you know, pay, pay our taxes we get through. And, you know, they're not excited about this at all. You know, we got to pay our stupid taxes again. And what they really wanted to do, they really wanted to pull out the scroll, hand it to Jesus and say, here, Jesus, take the Bible and whack him over the head because he's a terrible person. But Jesus says, to their amazement, the disciples' amazement, follow me. This is awesome. I, these are the last two words that you would expect Jesus to say uh, to a tax collector. You know, maybe repent, sinner, shame, shame, yes, any of those. But follow me? No, you wouldn't expect that. Follow me really means let's hang out together. Most of the disciples are fishermen. Now, honestly, fishermen aren't very high on the list of desirables either, but they are above tax collectors. Pharisees would be at the top. You know, they're the good people. Um, then there would be doctors, nurses, uh, people who help people, followed by ordinary people like fishermen. But then below fishermen would be prostitutes and tax collectors. Now, this decision by Jesus to invite Matthew to come with them is not going to help their status, not going to help their credibility as a group in the community. Now, when they came along to Dr. Luke, yeah, he, you know, he was a good addition uh, he'd give them some credibility, but not not a tax collector. Nobody wanted a selfie with Matthew, the tax collector, except Jesus. Next thing we know, Matthew's throwing a party. 
And Jesus and his disciples are the guests. Yeah, Matthew can afford it. He's rich. Yeah, he's got lots of money. He's got lots of food. He can throw a big party. Clearly, all of Matthew's friends were other tax collectors. Because think about it. Who would want to be his friend? Not any respectable Jewish person because they had no respect whatsoever for tax collectors. So at this party, the majority of people that are there are other tax collectors. And so, you know, Jesus has a captive audience. Um, People just like Matthew at this party. Uh, This would have been a normal party for the day. Uh, Matthew's running back and forth, making sure that the pizza rolls are hot coming out of the oven. He's restocking the the beer cooler. Oops, nobody told him that it was inappropriate with Jesus at the party. But anyway, the top ten are playing in the background. Um, Nobody told Matthew about Mercy Me. There were no Christian radio stations yet. OMG, okay, those are your texts, you know what that means. Oh my God, Jesus is at a naughty people party. What's Jesus doing at a naughty people party? This was majorly offensive to the religious elite. Why was Jesus there? Clearly. Jesus was the doctor. They were the sick. They needed him. They needed his services. Jesus doesn't hit them over the head with his hardback NVI version of the Bible. He's doing exactly what he came to earth to do, to call sinners to repentance and restoration. Jesus' goal was to take grace to the people who needed it. Until Jesus came... We were all outside the fence of God's grace. Now, the interesting thing about Jesus is Jesus doesn't move fences. He tears them down. Well, that makes religious fence builders very nervous. Jesus spent most of his time with people who were far away from God, people needing a doctor. Now, here's the major point of this whole message today. Everyone has a spot at the table. Now, I read this text uh, when we first began the service, Luke 14, beginning with verse 16. Jesus replied with this story, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. So the servant returned and told his master uh, what they... what the people had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind... And the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported there's still room for more 
So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge everyone, urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will, will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. We are like the servants. Our responsibility is to communicate to all people that they have a reserved spot at the table. This is, this is heaven. This is God preparing heaven uh, for his family, for his people. People who think they're already healthy make excuses not to participate. You know, I don't need to become a Christian. I'm, I'm good enough. You know, I, I, can, I can be good all on my own. I don't, I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. The longer we are Christians, the more difficult it is for us to connect to people who are outside of Jesus. As a matter of fact, surveys tell us that the average Christian, once they've been a Christian for seven years, doesn't really have any non-Christian friends anymore. So it becomes intentional that we need to make, create relationships with people who are not Christians. As disciples of Jesus, we should be trying to be like Jesus who hung out with sinners. This can be done at the gym. It can be done at Starbucks, McDonald's, the library, involvement in various civic organizations, and the list goes on. But let me warn you, this will be messy. Non-Christians are messy. The things they say, the words they use, some of the things they do, it's messy. Remember, you can't change them. Oh, you'll be tempted to try, but they have to make the choice to change themselves. Any change you get them to make will be short-lived. You can't be afraid of what other people will think you'll be in the exact same position Jesus was in. He didn't care. For three years of ministry, he ignored the criticism of religious people. And so once you do this, then you'll begin to understand how, Je how Jesus felt. Because sinners are messy, most churches put up their scarecrows to scare sinners away. Don't want them. Don't want them. It's like having a baby. You know, babies are wonderful, but that's only part of the story. They're messy. Ask any mother. They'll tell you they're messy. They have to change their diapers. And it gets, it's even worse at times. But anyway, new people bringing sinners into the church, is, it, that's, that's messy. Uh, Jesus came to earth to become one of us. If we're going to make an impact in the community around us, we're going to have to become one of them. Until people view us as one of them, we will never, ever make an impact. Churches are supposed to be hospitals. If Jesus came for the sick, then we're the hospital. Hospitals are messy. They're much cleaner now than they were years ago, Civil War times. You know, there'd be limbs here and there and everywhere and, you know, blood everywhere and... Uh, it, it was, it's horrible if you watched any of the movies uh, on television about war and, and hospitals in, in times of war. It, you know, 
well, you know, they've cleaned up hospitals, but it's still messy. There's a lot that goes on in hospitals that you're not fully aware of. Who's in your hood? And by that, I mean your neighborhood. Who's in your hood? Um, list them on your bulletin or on your notes. Um, could be somebody from work. Could be somebody who lives around you. Uh, if you don't know who they are, you need to find out who they are. Make a list of them. Now, you're going to hear me say this over and over during our life on mission. Don't be weird. Christians being weird turn people off right and left. Jesus told us to be salt and light. He didn't say, now be weird. Go into the world and be weird. That's not going to attract anybody. Be salt and light. He even said salt uh, does no good unless it's applied. Salt doesn't do any good as long as it's in a shaker. Light doesn't do any good unless it's shining in the darkness. Uh, you can't do any good until you connect with people who are already in your life. They're your neighbors. And they might need Jesus. Don't talk to them about God. Don't walk up to them immediately start talking about God. Don't talk to them about Jesus. Don't talk to them about new life. Now, you probably never thought you'd hear me say this. But listen, I'm saying it. All I want you to do this week is to focus on connecting. Make a connection. Maybe just have a cookout. And so invite your neighbors to come over uh, and hang out and share food together in your backyard. Uh, find out what you have in common. Find out what's going on in their life. Eventually, you'll start to find some ways that God's going to open the door for you to pray for them and for you to be able to minister to them in some way. But here, here's a word of caution. Don't be too nosy up front. Some people have a tendency to ask too many questions. Don't dig too much into their business. Let them open up and share it with you. Impacting the world for Jesus is all about relationships not inviting people to church, okay? So you're, you're going to be much more influential with somebody if you make a relationship with them than if you just invite them to church. Now, we're going to use the analogy of our home as we go through this series of messages. Uh, connect is action point number one, and it's the first thing that you're going to do at your house. You're going to invite your neighbor into the backyard. Now, as you come through the front yard to get to the backyard, you know, there's small talk and things like that, and you're chatty, and that's, that, that's okay, but that's not, very, that's not very deep. When you invite them into the backyard, then things begin to open up. The re relationship begins uh, to develop. So you have a barbecue or whatever. Uh, when you go to, to somebody's house, somebody invites you to their house, and you go in their house, that's the next level up. And uh, we're going to talk about that next week. But for this week, week number one, I just want you to make the connection. Um, connect with your neighbors. I'm asking you, as a matter of fact, to commit to that today. I you don't have to raise your hand, but I want you inaudibly to make a commitment to God that you're going to connect 
uh, with your neighbor this week. Uh, some guy put up a sign beside his front door. It said, no soliciting, too broke to buy anything, already have Jesus, don't need a vacuum. Seriously, unless you're selling thin mints, please go away. And that's kind of the world we're living in today. People don't want to be bothered. So, you know, it's not go to, from door to door knocking to see who you can influence for Jesus. It's developing a relationship. So if, if you have a relationship with somebody and they knock on your door, that's totally different. Or if you knock on their door, that's totally different. So I'm challenging you to connect with your Jerusalem. Now, the Bible records 34 encounters of individuals that Jesus had. Only one was connected to what we would associate as a church. Now, you might be wondering, well, how, how did it go with Matthew? Well, just look down at your notes. Look at the text. He wrote the book. It was successful. Jesus became his Lord and Savior. Today, we're going to sing a song of decision, and we're going to give you an opportunity to make a decision for Christ. And if you need to do that today, let me encourage you to do so. If you need prayer, we'd be glad to pray with you. Uh, if you'd come forward as we sing, uh, if you're interested in uh, church membership or in being baptized into Christ, then I would encourage you to uh, stop by and see Craig on the way out. Let's stand, please, as we sing.